Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Riemann. Welcome to the first episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Our initial focus for this podcast will be to highlight some of the great work done in my home province of British Columbia. I'd like to put out a special thank you to CBI consultants for producing this podcast, and especially our multimedia and creative guru, Carmen Chung, who is doing all of the editing, mixing, logo design, and so much more. We are also an approved continuing education provider with the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, and will be providing the opportunity for BCBAs and BCABAs to earn continuing education units for listening to our podcast. Today's episode will be worth one and a half ethics CEUs. Please pay attention and write down the three secret words in order to claim your CEUs. My first guest is Danielle Reed, a board-certified behavior analyst from Surrey, British Columbia. Danielle will be sharing her story about what it has been like to be the only black BCBA in British Columbia, as far as both of us know. If there's more out there, we'd love to hear from you. We have... Danielle Reed with us today. So glad you could come. Yeah, great to be here. So awesome. So uh, uh, Danielle and I, uh, we met uh, on the Facebook uh, Mm -hmm. a few months back. Uh, uh, You had uh, sort of reached out to me uh, unsolicited and uh, (laughs) just asked if uh, maybe you could uh, share a story with me. And uh, I listened and... uh, we uh, got to know each other, and uh, a few months later decided, hey, let's uh, share that story again on tape. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, again, uh, really thankful that you're here. This is my first uh, recording of the podcast, uh, so excited to have you as as the first guest. Yeah, so I guess we're going to get right into it. Um, we're just going to, we're going to kind of hear uh, uh, your story um, about, you know, what it's like to be a black BCBA in BC. Uh, but before that, we're going to kind of get into maybe a little bit of kind of your, your origin story. So uh, not only how you got in the field, but maybe, you know, how you ended up uh, in BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So hi, everyone. It's really great to be here. This is my first podcast as well. And um, I'm glad it's with Ben because we've had conversations in the past. So I feel a lot more comfortable and I feel safe sharing my story here. So um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Um, So a little bit about me. I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago and I moved here about 13 years ago when I was 21. Although that age is me, but that's okay. Um, But yeah, so um, it's been quite an interesting journey, just readjusting to life here, coming from Trinidad and Tobago. and. Part of that transition from Trinidad to Canada, BC in particular, has kind of set the premise for (laughs) how things have unfolded um, as I move towards, you know, becoming a BCBA. It's been a long journey, but I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot and um, I'm happy to be able to share some of what I've been through. And I'm hoping that it serves to educate and inform people, um, also encourage others who may be trying to um, get their foot in the field, but have had similar struggles. So that's my objective for, yeah, my chat today with you. Awesome. Yeah. So 
what was that move like? Uh, so that was 13 years ago. What was it like when you kind of first came to Canada? Um, it was a, at first it didn't feel like a big culture shock. I think as I started to settle into life here, I realized that um, things were just a lot different. One of the big things that I've had to deal with was just feeling that I stood out. Back then, even um, in school, I went to SFU. I'd been a class of maybe 300, sometimes 400 other students. They were huge classes. And I would look around and realize I was the only Black person in the class at that time. And um, it was just this feeling of feeling <laughs> that I just really stood out and I looked different. And that took a lot of getting used to. Even then, because there were so few Black people around and on campus, I could tell that people were uncomfortable or unused to seeing seeing me around it was the first time, you know, walking through different places and seeing people, you know, kind of flinching or holding holding their bags. <laughs> um, even um, when I went to different stores, you know, being followed and all those different things that I just didn't really know what to do with. I couldn't understand it. Um, so it was that experience of, you know, going from just being a person and then here I'm Black. So it's the first time I realized, wait, I'm black. And that created quite a bit of anxiety for me personally and um, learning about the stereotypes. I mean, we knew of stereotypes growing up. It was like a TV thing, something you saw on TV, but um, actually experiencing it and um, feeling that, you know, people will look at you and make judgments about who you are that was really, really hard. So I felt like I had to overcompensate to kind of represent for Black people and let them know that we're not all like this or whatever the case was. So um, put a lot of pressure on myself and a lot of um, anxiety. And uh, and as I go through my journey, you, you'll see that kind of echoing through things that I would have done to try to make sure that um, people knew who I was and um, was able to, are able to like value my contribution to different things. And just to give a bit of like a disclaimer, <laughs> uh, my experiences are mine and they're different and it's different from each, for each um, person of color or black person. But in my conversations with people, um, some of the things that sometimes come up would be one disbelief that there is, there are issues of racism in Canada and in BC. Another issue that comes up a lot is, um, I guess, just getting that response. Well, that wasn't this. This was really this. And I don't think that's what that was. It wasn't race. It was this. Oh, no, that didn't happen. Maybe you just misinterpreted. But it's important for um, people to understand that for people of color, specifically Blacks, um, we've had a different learning history. We've had different learning experience and we've had to learn to make um, discriminations that um, others outside of that population wouldn't have to learn to discriminate between. So um, we're not coming from a place of, oh, because this person was mean to us or kind to us, then it's racist. 
we actually are really good at knowing the difference between someone who's just having a bad day or someone who's that's just their personality versus someone who's being a certain way to us and it's being motivated by race. And I feel it's very important um, for people to understand that and accept that and, um, and appreciate the stories that we have to tell. And I would also really challenge um, the listeners to kind of take note um, if you want, if you really value like racial equality, take note of your behaviors as you listen. If you find yourself disputing or defending, you know, ask yourself why that might be and why you're struggling to um, take the story at face value. So that's often some of the challenges that I have faced in sharing my story and having a lot of issues with just, you know, people accepting my story and my interpretation of my story. So, yeah, so that's the whole backdrop <laughs> to my journey. And, um, yeah, and I hope that listeners out there are able to, like, you know, hear it and accept the experiences that I have to share. I think that's a fair point. I think, uh, you know, in Canada, you know, especially on the West Coast, I mean, I think things might be a little different in, in maybe Toronto. I think there are, there's, you know, there's a good, um, a larger black community in Toronto uh, and, and sort of in, in, in kind of Ontario. And I think a lot of that's related to sort of, you know, the, the, the states that they border um, and sort of the whole, you know, I, I read um, Stamp from the Beginning um, by uh, Abraham Kendi, which kind of does a, it's a, 400 year kind of history of racism and i i know you know I, I learned so much i had no idea about most of this stuff um but one thing around sort of where you know the black populations kind of had to migrate in the u.s um based on sort of you know the different laws in the different states and so you know i wonder if sort of that plays into why because I, I it was i was surprised to hear hear you say you know that when you're in you're in SFU so this was your undergrad i guess yeah. uh, that that, that mm-hmm. in a class of 300 to 400 you're the only black person i, I would have thought there would have been more um sort of in in a, in a, in, a, in a big in a big city like that yeah that was yeah that was a while ago that was it <laughs> um it's definitely not like that now but at that time i yeah i would remember huge classes and Oh, there might be like one person sitting in the back, (laughs) you know, in the class. (laughs) Um, There were a few times when I I was the only one and I did stand out because I spoke a lot in class. I would put my hand up and ask a lot of questions. Again, not wanting to portray myself as someone who wasn't studious and, you know, Um, but yeah, it was, it was quite, it was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, quickly I found that more came into SFU and, you know, I eventually, um, was able to connect with others. It was a club and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and even being at that club, it was, it was one of those moments where I can exhale a little bit because I didn't realize how anxious I was feeling just on my regular everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, I, at that time, I found that there were more kind of overt and obvious kind of racism type of acts, you know, being followed or people, you know, avoiding or flinching or um, even some things people would say. But eventually, I noticed that um, the way that it presents itself was a lot more subtle. And I find because of how subtle some of those things are it it can be really easy to miss and um 
because it's easy to miss, it's harder to deal with and address and fix because it looks it looks a lot different in Canada than say in the States, but um, it still has a very significant impact. And I guess you'll see that um, throughout my story, you know. I found that in general, racism hides in, you know, people's body language or certain assumptions that are made. You know, sometimes you're in a group and, um, you know, people assume that the person in the group who's at the, who's probably least able to speak on something, they assume that the person who's least able to speak on something would be me, you know, Mm. Um, and you'd see that body language, you know, turning away and asking or directing questions to other people in the group thinking that, okay, well, you know, if um, if going into a social situation or a conversation and you know that, okay, there's there's a, a student, there's a supervisor, there's whatever, then whatever that lowest level was, it was, I was always been that person. So it was just those subtle things that, you know, having to deal with and feeling you have to, I, I always have to prove myself in, in various contexts. Yeah. Um, added to that other ways that I've seen, um, subtle, uh, racism coming up would be just in the nature of how things work here in Canada. It's, it's very motivated by, you have to network, basically. You really have to network to be able to get somewhere. And networking is really hard. Um, you come from another country, you have a different culture. Uh, people don't feel like they can relate to you as much. They pay attention to other people who seem to be more similar. And so in situations where you're networking to try to build your career or move forward, I found that I was left out or connections weren't being made. It was very, very difficult to kind of network and um, build those connections that I needed to further myself and to get the opportunities. So those are some of the areas that I really, that I really experienced early on and kind of realized, oh, this is what it's like <laughs> being here. And that was, yeah, that was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because we had talked about sort of how networking had been, has been difficult for you all through your career, even even mm-hmm. now, um, and and that's interesting. We didn't you didn't mention before uh, the sort of how this kind of all started, sort of from day one, people not even approaching you, not even asking you a question. I mean, right away you were excluded. Uh, right away, right away yeah, you were kind yeah. of told, you know, we're in a group over here, and if you want to be in the group, well, you're gonna have to try a whole lot harder than everybody else to get in. Yeah. Yeah. That was the stage that was pretty much set. So unless, you know, people had cultural questions, <laughs> you know, then that was a way in, um, but it would usually kind of stay there. So um, I always felt um, that my perspective or even my intellect or my contribution to things that were more serious and meaningful, it, it was hard to be taken seriously. Um, even from the get-go. So yeah, so heading into, let's say my work experience. So it was easy to get, fairly easy to get into doing BI work. So I worked as a BI for a little bit and then I joined an agency and I worked for as a BI there. And that wasn't too much of a challenge in terms of, you know, finding that job. I really, I really loved the field from the start. I was, I was thinking, oh, wow, this is a great field. I can do really well here. And I was all motivated. 
So I worked hard and I did a lot of work outside of, uh, of my job to try to build my skills. You know, I really wanted to show that, you know, I had the talent for this and the, um, the mind for it and um, able to understand the ABA world. Um, so I did really well at work and, and my, <laughs> my <laughs> the reason how I can say I did really well was just looking at, you know, the data of the kids that I worked with. They were progressing really quickly and they were doing well, you know. Um, the graphs were nice and steep, you know, for their skills that they were doing. Uh, problem behaviors went down really quickly. And um, so on that level, you know, I was doing really well. And also, um, as I stayed within the job, um, I found that I was being given the more challenging kids, you know. So I was being trusted with, um, you know, more challenging situations and was able to deal with it and see progress and improvement. And so on that level, I knew that I was doing a good job as a BI, you know, and then other people would come into the workplace and I would be the one who would kind of show them how to do things. So I'd be the one modeling and um, demonstrating the different procedures and the data collection and yeah, so from that point of it, it seemed like I was doing a really good job. So I was really, really hopeful at that point that I would be able to, you know, continue and pursue, pursue my career in the field of ABA and um, and get somewhere. But it was maybe maybe a few years in working that I realized that, you know, people were coming in and they were able to advance a lot faster than I would, you know, and I'd be kind of in the same position. And, you know, it was confusing, you know, because I have on one end, I am doing a good job. And then on the other end, you know, um, being, I'm not able to, you know, progress. Um, and um, that, that had happened a lot throughout the first few years of, of working there. And, um, started to become a bit discouraged by that, you know, still trying, <laughs> still trying to, you know, further my skills and, and everything, but it was discouraging. So what I, what I did was I tried to be very accountable. So I reached out to, you know, management and let them know that, you know, okay, this is where I want to go and this is my interest and I'm hoping to do this and to study and whatever. And, you know, um, I was doing that more so than others. Um, in the company, there was a lot of turnover, a lot, yeah, high staff turnover, especially with BIs. I think with BIs, mm. that's how it is. But I kind of wanted to show loyalty and all these things. So, yeah, so I stuck around and, you know, I, I made, I had my meetings and I followed their advice and I checked in and asked, what should I be doing? Um, but still those things were happening. People were coming in after me and getting promoted and um, different things like that. So it became really discouraging. So uh, even at one point I had started looking for work out elsewhere. Um, that was after being a few years in. And um, once there was a meeting and then all of a sudden there's all these opportunities that I was eligible for. and. Um, I was told, oh, somehow you slipped through the cracks, you know, we don't know what happened. And they realized I didn't get a pay raise um, since, you know, yeah, 
I think I had, yeah, I didn't get a pay raise or anything like that in, in years and, you know, and then there were all these promises. So I decided to stay. And then I asked about, oh, yeah, what about those positions that I was eligible for? And that went out the window. <laughs> um, so it was just, it was confusing, you know, and um, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically you... You know, you, you've you've come into this company. You show competence um, uh, really early on, um, and now folks are other folk, but but no opportunity for promotion. Then other folks are coming in and quickly moving up the, up the ranks. And then the moment you mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm thinking about going somewhere else, it's all it's like all of a sudden, oh, we had opportunities and uh, and and we we just forgot about you. And then, the mo- and, then the- <laughs> and then the moment you say, okay, I'm ready to stay because now all these opportunities are, are here, they're gone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If you're planning to collect continuing education credits for this podcast, the first secret word is racism. Um, well, okay. From, from, I have to be honest. So I did get um, from that, uh, I was finally promoted to like, a lead bi at that point after that because they realized oh you i was slipping through the cracks um but even with that it was different because throughout my years there when someone got a lead bi position it's always this kind of you know a bit of a fanfare you know it was in the staff room like oh this person's now lead bi blah 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 and you know they had you know the person's picture on the entryway you know so parents could see you know i was just like oh yeah you're lead bi and nothing you know and it was honestly I didn't I didn't pick up on it until another person in the in the company was like wait they didn't they didn't announce it or they didn't make like usually they do this and I was like wow yeah they usually do uh make a bit of a fuss you know so it kind of felt like it was just something that they just Mm -hmm. did to kind of appease me so again I'm not really feeling like my contribution was really being valued at that point so once I realized that I was a bit frustrated, but I was like, you know, whatever. Um, so then later on, I decided to um, do some studies. I was, I wanted to study at Douglas to do, um, they had that program, um, right. the DABA program. And um, I, I did that so that I can, you know, qualify for the BCABA position and try to move myself up there that way. Um, I had tried previously to to get into a master's program, but it wasn't successful. So I figured maybe I would do the BCABA and then work towards the BCBA. So I let the company know and everything. And, you know, I was leading supervision hours. And, and, and at that time, a lot of others were also going towards a BCBA. I think I was the only BCABA. Um, but others were doing that. And so they put together this whole kind of plan so that everyone can get supervised. So they knowing that I'm doing this and they start this whole program, but somehow like one of the last to be, actually the last to be informed that they were starting this whole cycle of supervision. And so I ended up joining kind of months late into that whole program of being supervised uh, you know, that was frustrating, you know, um, it was a huge learning curve though. Um, you know, I got some really good experience. I got to do, work at different parts of the company and got to do really cool things that I was proud of, but I didn't have enough supervision. And then all of a sudden 
the whole supervision program that they were doing, they just stopped it. And I didn't mm. have all my hours, but everybody else got their oh, wow. hours. And I was really confused by that because, you know, as a BCABA, you need the least, right? Um, I didn't need as much as, uh, as much as others. So when that, they had kind of keep that whole system, there wasn't a way for me to continue getting my hours. And I was asking, okay, okay, what can I do? Again, going and talking to other people. <laughs> I was like, okay, what can I do? What should I do? And so they gave all this advice and whatever. So I followed it. And so I basically traded in steady hours and from like the position that I had to try to work in another capacity within the, within the organization. And um, still there was, there wasn't sufficient supervision and I wasn't getting any, and I had almost no work. And so eventually I was just kind of, you know, dismissed from the company altogether because it was, I was, I only had maybe a few clients at that time and, you know, couldn't get anyone to agree to supervise or to arrange things. I mean, they tried here and there, but nothing really stuck and stayed, you know, and I'm feeling like I'm just nagging and bugging everybody like, Oh, my supervision, my supervision. (laughs) And by that time, I think I had just gotten into a master's program because I I was doing the BC ABA for so long. I had just said, you know what, forget that. I'll just go straight for the masses and work for the BCBA. And um, still at that point, um, wasn't able to get what I needed. So it was, it was really frustrating and um, um, eventually just kind of being phased out of the, the company altogether. So you're, you're, you're there continuously uh, loyal uh, way longer than it sounds like anybody else because, you know, high turnover rate and those sorts of things. A supervision program comes in. All the BCBA candidates get their, their 1,500 hours. You only need 1,000 uh, for, the, for the BCABA, mm-hmm. and you don't get that. And then they to an area where you have even less contact with supervision, even less contact probably with other people. Uh, really, really mm-hmm. felt like they just kind of shoved you aside, eh? Yeah, that's what it felt like. <laughs> um, and I know for for some people listening, you might be wondering, oh, where's the racism in that? You know, um, I think if you if you look at the odds, you know, in my situation, um, being discriminated against, it just feels like just having really bad luck, you know. But when you when you stack up um, what what the effort that I'm, that I'm putting out and you know I realize that persistency mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. being punished <laughs> you know because I'm getting discouraged I'm not trying as hard eventually you know after doing so much you know reinforcement is just really limited you know a lot of my efforts are being put on ex- extinction yeah. you know um so and it's at an unusual rate when you when when compared with with others and I say that because throughout this process I'm, I'm I'm the kind of person I'm always trying to figure out what am I doing wrong what can I do better I'm always trying to like fix something and I'm talk, I'm talking to a lot of different people in the field I'm asking like hey what did you do and how did you get here and what have you tried and 
And, you know, even when people are saying, oh, yeah, it was so hard. I had to do this. And I'm thinking, well, it's a fraction of what I had to do. And why are the results uh, so different? You know, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot of those little things. I, I mean, I can even think, you know, I, I would go to, you know, the, the conferences and stuff like that. And um, again, the networking piece. And, you know, I would stay back after presentations that I was interested in. Um, I was always very, very interested in in research. So I would, you know, stay back and talk to various people, exchange contacts, you know, follow up and then Mm. nothing, you know. And, and, you know, it's that feeling as if, you know, people aren't really taking my pursuit of this seriously and, you know, why are they just forgetting to reply or not even bothering to reply or even say, Oh yeah, sorry. The the opportunity was filled or uh, maybe try this time again, you know? So yeah, those things were discouraging and to the point where I kind of stopped going to conferences and, you know, um, you go there, you mean I'll sit next to people I knew, you know, but try to participate and you didn't really feel like you were, in the group you know so it was discouraging on that on that side of it switching gears again even within um my studying let's say my my master's program which was great like i loved what i learned it was a really great program but my one issue that was really suspicious was was the fact that I couldn't get into the research research program at mm. at the school that I was studying in. And I'll explain why that's weird because again, I'm looking at the data of my performance to know, okay, am I measuring up? Am I where am I stacking compared with other people? Very early on, after I kind of gotten used to school and doing my master's program and everything. I was, I realized that, you know, I was doing really well. And again, you know, I have something to prove. Um, So I'm working really, really hard. And after maybe the first semester or two, I'm making top marks in everything. So I'm, my final grade is near a hundred percent because I'm getting complete marks in my tests and my papers and assignments Mm-hmm. And that wasn't easy, of course. It was a lot of hard work. Um, um, but I wasn't doing it well, yeah. I was I was doing it just, you know, for accomplishment and just, you know, but it was also a point of validation. Like, you know what, I actually can do this. But even with that, um, you needed a certain grade requirement to enter into like the thesis program to be able to do research and to get um the opportunity to be supervised by this professor who was just great Mm. with translational research and all these different things. And it was so exciting. And um, there were other professors that were super excited to work with me if I got into the program, but the decision was left in the hands of a particular professor who was, he was the, he was the guy for Mm -hmm. um, the research program. And um, the other professors are really encouraging me because I had a great relationship with my professors as well. but in spite of feeling that I was the top student and even other professors telling me that I was the top student, I didn't, I didn't get in to the, to the research program. 
And the other professors are saying, that's so strange. You know, this he's really on top of things. And even when I didn't get in, I'm seeing him sending out emails asking people to apply for the thesis program. And I'm like, I did apply and then no response to the email. And um, it was it was really strange. And after sending a couple of emails and trying to find out at that point, I was just so discouraged. It's like, you know what? I'm done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just, you know, <laughs> let's just, you know, <laughs> call this what it is. Um, because it was, it was highly unusual. And, um, and I have to, I have to mention like, because someone has these biases, it's, it's not necessary that people are mm-hmm. ill-meaning, you know, they don't mean to be prejudiced yeah. or to bias or to prefer, um, other races above black people. It's not often, especially in Canada, it's not often coming from that place mm-hmm. of, you know, somebody being malicious or just wanting to, you know, it's just really s- subtle, you know, it's hidden in statements like, oh, well, this person was just a better fit or, um, you know, things like that. Like, oh, well, I think it would suit this better, you know, and those kind of qualitative things, even if on paper, you know, people are equal or even one's better. <laughs> it's those subtle things that end up being that determining factor. And when there are biases and preferences, um, those things kind of come to play. So I'll go on a little bit of a tangent, if that's okay. Okay, so this is this is my analogy. <laughs> and I got this from when I was studying for um, the boy exam. So in my, in, this is my way of behaviorally kind of understanding and explaining how, how racism works. Um, so there was this thing I was studying for the exam and yeah, there was this, um, you know, generalization gradient. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it came from, it came from like a study with, I think there are different ones. It was rats with different, you know, sound and there's also um pigeons pecking and so they got so pigeons pecked and they were trained to peck when a certain light came on of a certain frequency let's say a blue light and you know they got reinforced when they pecked in the presence of the blue light and then they they put it on extinction and then they measured pecks after it was extinguished and they showed different lights and then they measured uh how many pecks uh, in the presence of other other um lights um, other colors and other frequencies of light. And for me, it's kind of like, I, I think of it as um, looking at how you were trained. So basic things like, okay, uh, you learn things like kindness and help in the context of your family. And in that context, you're reinforced. And so um, the generalization gradient, they found that the more dissimilar um, the stimulus was to the that you were trained at, the less responding happened post that extinction phase and so it's it's similar when you think of um how you learn different helping behaviors or reaching out or even listening you know you learn in the context of your family you know people who look like you and sometimes the more uh, depending on how (laughs) how you generalize or how your behavior is discriminated you know you might find that your behavior your helping behavior your kindness your reaching out um uh, initiations and 
all those types of social behaviors, positive social behaviors, the more dissimilar people are um, compared to the people you were trained to do those things with, um, the less you are actually engaging in those behaviors. I feel like that's a good and just a safe example to show how it works. So it's not necessarily well-meaning. It's just that you learned these behaviors in this context and, you know, someone who looks very different because it's, it's a different stimulus. You're, you, the likelihood of you, you know, doing those, you know, kind behaviors, reaching out and assisting and all those different things, it could be different. It could be less. And it's just something to kind of keep in mind. And I think it's a good, it's a good analogy just to think about with how it works and how it's trained. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? So you're, you're, you've kind of learned these skills. I guess maybe we could go back to Trinidad, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, you're, you're in, in, in kind of that context. And then, because mm-hmm. so, we look at it sort of from the perspective of, of the biased folk, but we can also look at it from your perspective. And so from your perspective, you're coming from, you know, this, this area where you were trained and, 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 and you grew up and you were raised um, and, and, that's where you, you you kind of formed your values and uh, and and your and your interests and 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 all those sorts of things and your work ethic and everything in, in between and then you move into a, a new context. Um, you still have all of those values and all of those opinions and all those perspectives, but now those behaviors aren't being reinforced the way they used to be. And, and so now what's happened is you yeah, you've got to kind yeah. of increase your response effort. And it sounds like as you're telling your story that your response effort just went up and 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 up to the point where, you know, you know, we look at kind of FCT 101, you know, the functional equivalence is not happening anymore. And, you know, you're coming pretty close to problem behavior, you know, because, you know, you're... Your your current behaviors just aren't 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 meeting those needs, and um, I mean because but because you've got you know, mm-hmm. you know <laughs> skills and self regulation and and still got all those values instead of sort of you know acting out you just kind of you know withdraw and then and then sort of from the perspective mm-hmm. of the of of the biased person you know same sort of thing I know for me I know for me um, I never thought of myself as you know, racist because I never engaged in any kind of overt intentional action. You know, I never, you know, I never mm-hmm. used the, like the N word or I never, you know, I never right. threw on a, on a white hood, uh, which yeah. is all, it always seemed to be, if you threw on a white hood, you're racist. <laughs> if you didn't, you weren't, um, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but it wasn't, you know, I've said this a few times to folks now that I, I basically had a sort of a sense of kind of willful ignorance uh, sort of growing up that I, you know, I just, I had no idea, but I also didn't put any effort into, you know, getting an idea mm-hmm. um, about kind of what was going on, and so and so those biases right. just kind of formed. Um, um, although I didn't really come into contact with too many black people, and I suppose this is sort of kind of how it translates to your point: is that you're now in a situation where you're you're engaging with you know a, a lot of folks that aren't black um, that have you know developed their own sort of values and perspectives and whatnot. And then now you become this new stimuli in their environment and they're sort of having kind of the same kind of issue. They're, they're, they're unable to sort of generalize to you 
in, in, in a sense. Um, and so mm-hmm. they're acting in, in sort of these odd kind of strange ways. I mean, I'm sure if I don't know, it would be the same, but I imagine if, if there were sort of other, other people of color that they also came into contact, maybe someone who was Asian, um, you know, that there's a, a, a large kind of Asian population in, in the lower mainland. Um, that those folks would probably have experienced something mm-hmm. similar, but maybe not as much because, you know, in the lower mainland, white folks are exposed to, you know, folks from, you know, Asian countries a whole lot more. Um, and so have an opportunity to possibly, you know, practice their skills or, re- or, or refine their, their behavior somewhat. But then you kind of come into the picture and, and kind of throw that all off for them. And all those biases just start coming out because, um, uh, you're almost like a storybook character to these folks um, um, that they've never that they've never sort of right. uh, you know kind of come into contact. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, that's yeah. I like I like that I like that concept of the the generalization gradient. I think that's really interesting. You and I were talking about um, you know ethics codes, uh, but uh, you know, and kind of how you know particularly in the context of that agency that you were working for, for so long, like again, for so long, but it's the, it's been the opposite for you. You've put so much effort in and you've done everything kind of right all the way to all, all the way to the end and no change. And, and it really seems like some ethical um, codes are, are not being, are not being followed here. And, and we talked about, um, you know, I mean, there's the easy ones, right? There's the, the 1.05s, right? Um, uh, D and E, which, you know, basically, you know, uh, I'll just kind of read them here. Um, 1.5D, in their work-related activities, behavior analysts do not engage in discrimination against individuals or groups based on age, gender, race, culture, ethnicity, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, disability language, or socioeconomic status in accordance with the law. And then E, uh, kind of just builds on that behavior analysts do not knowingly engage in behavior that is harassing or demeaning to persons with whom they interact based on those sort of same kind of factors. The next secret word for continuing education credits is diversity. Yeah. It, yeah. With like the harassment part, not so much, but the demeaning part, you know, it felt like, you know, my efforts weren't valued as much, you know, my pursuit or my inquiries, you know, because, oh, it slipped through the cracks. So, I, you know, um, being forgotten a lot, you know, not others not following through on uh, promises that they would have made, you know, to help or to, you know, give me assistance or, you know, to do certain things, you know. So it felt, you know, that demeaning piece of it felt, applicable in my case and there's a point where you know even though it's not the case because you you have no choice you have to put up that response effort and really 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 try to make things happen you've always had to since you moved here but from their perspective they may be looking at you like oh there's danielle again asking again pushing pushy danielle you know nagging (laughs) again trying to get stuff you know doesn't realize we're all really busy um Mm -hmm. and through all of that they're they're discriminating yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah i think i've even heard back you know someone's like oh yeah this is what they said about you and it was that kind of vibe it's like wow she can't even get someone to supervise her type of deal you know um and 
yeah, I mean, people have their personality flaws. I have mine, but if, and I'm not making mm-hmm. excuse for myself. I mean, everyone's on a growing journey, but you know, even if there are personality issues that make someone maybe more challenging to deal with, um, personalities are really a history of, you know, reinforcement and punishment history, you know, and like I said, I did have a lot of anxiety kind of built up, you know, early on. And I, I wouldn't say that there was anything in my personality that made me, you know, difficult to work with. Cause I had a great relationship with my coworkers, um, anything like that. It was more, it was more coming from like people who had the power to make decisions, you know? Um, but all the people that I work with and I helped, you know, and support and trained and showed them different things. Like I had a great um, interactions. Like I'm still um, friends with, with a lot of the people that I've worked with um, from there. Um, and they're still very supportive of me. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's also important to keep that in mind, you know, it, when you, when you meet somebody um who has a different background and like, Oh, why are they like this? Like, why are they so this? Like, why, uh, you know, keep in mind that, you know, there are unusual challenges and I guess everyone really has a reason, um, for being the way that they are based on, you know, what they have experienced. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, just keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you find one thing I, I heard, I've been hearing a lot from a lot of the American podcasts and a lot of the kind of, different sort of uh, news outlets that have been kind of coming out is uh, is sort of this idea that uh, black folk not only try harder um, because they have to, but they actually sort of put on a kind of a a different persona than maybe they would normally, maybe that they would with their family or, 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 you know, with, you know, or though you might have put on sort of in 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 Trinidad, um, I think they call they call this, um, and I'm um, forgive me if I'm not explaining this correctly, but I think they call this kind of kind of code switching. Have you heard of this? So, uh, I th- and it may it may be more of an American sort of uh, phenomenon, uh, but it's sort of the idea that the idea that if they were to sort of act the way they would normally act, kind of at home. And with and with their families and with their friends that are also black, um, if they were to sort of act that way in the in in the workplace that's dominated sort of by you know the white privilege and whatnot, that those behaviors would be looked at as being negative behaviors, even though they're not. Even though they, they might be looked at as angry people or nasty people or or you know or whatever. Um, and and so then they sort of do this thing mm-hmm. called code switching where they basically try to act more white, I guess, so that they don't get sort of, um, um, you know, so they don't lose opportunities. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's a, a real thing. I mean, uh, if I compare myself, uh, like when I'm around, uh, other Caribbean friends or African friends, there's a lot more, there's a freer version of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way I speak will be very different. In some cases, you'll have people like, oh, that's oh, awesome. Can you do that again? <laughs> Type of response. But in the workplace, it would, it, yeah, we, <laughs> I would be seen as very loud. <laughs> right. Or, um, you know, unprofessional. Right. That's what I feel. 
you know, so there's definitely not that persona at all. And I've, I think very early on when I've learned about the stereotypes that were there for black people, I've made sure to like, yeah, present myself a lot, a lot different. Like right now, the way I'm speaking, it's, it's this weird combination of Canadian accent and, (laughs) and uh, some form of my previous accent, (laughs) a more polished version of that. Um, Because um, yeah, because it's, on the more positive side, the way people will respond, like, oh, that's so cool. Do it again. (laughs) Uh, On the other side, it can come across as, you know, unprofessional. So, you know, um, I also make sure to show as little emotion when I'm expressing myself or talking with other people, because I feel like the stereotype is, oh, we get angry and we get overly animated. So I make sure to always be very slow, calm, and just kind of stick to the facts this happened and then this is what happened and um which i think that's you know why why the <laughs> the field of <laughs> abia works you know just being very objective with the way that i portray information so that no one can mm-hmm. say that i was you know putting my own spin on it so i i go very much into gotcha. this kind of reporting mode it's okay, this is what happened. These were the sorts of events. Mm-hmm. And then I did this and this person said this and um, making sure that I don't raise my voice mm-hmm. or sound angry. You know, that's a big thing, just not sounding angry. Um, and that's something that I've had to do a lot with um, even my conversations that kind of, it was triggered by all of the events, you know, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these things, you know, and the conversations that came, you know, and talking with people and people who are trying to understand, that's usually my approach, mm-hmm. you know, just be as factual mm-hmm. and <laughs> as <laughs> level-headed as, you know, as possible. So that at least uh, what I present it has the best chance of being accepted. Yeah. We also looked at... Um, um we looked at 4.08 and and sort of, and this is you know and when i read this you know i am um you know it it, it got me, it, it got me angry it got me frustrated with the, with the idea that um you know you're basically and if 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 this is sort of why you pointed this out but you're basically constantly running into punishment contingencies through your entire sort of career you know as long as you've lived here um and yeah yeah so this one, I think I have a specific example for this one. So this one, the behavior analyst modifies the program on the basis of data. So there were instances, two I can remember, where um, a, a parent saw me working with their child and um, they immediately got upset and they became loud and they were like, oh, I don't want that woman working with my child. And, you know, he, he made a bit of a scene. and. Um, in one case, the company just kind of complied, you know, and just found another BI for um, to work with that child. And that was a decision that um, basically you're modifying the program because you have to get a new BI who's not familiar with, with, um, with the programs and the child. And you're basically setting the child back. And that was mm-hmm. this decision that was not made based on data and what was best for the, the child and the client, but it was because of this per- this parent who had um, this unusual response, and um, so that happened. Um, there was another att- another 
uh, instance where that happened and um, the BCBA actually at the time, who's also a really good friend of mine now, um, she was saying, you know what, let's take video, <laughs> you know, took video of me working with the child and then sent that to the parents so that the parent could see like, okay, this is how, this is how Danielle works. And, you know, and the parent was able to see that the child was making gains and, and we got by in that way. So at least there was effort to kind of back me up. Um, in the first instance, it was um, a decision that was not made based on the data or in the best interest of the child. You know, it was based on a parent just having um, that kind of response, you know. Um, and, you know, people might be thinking, oh, maybe that parent was just, you know, uh, upset that day or whatever. We don't know if it's race. And I have to say that I've had many instances where parents got upset. and I there's most of them I would hands down say okay you know that's just this person's personality but in that in this case you know there were those those small cues that it could pick up on where you know I could tell that Mm -hmm. that was that had a part to play in that in that instance you know um the mass majority of it was not was not racially motivated. It was just an angry parent probably had a bad day or just that's their personality type of thing. But it's important for uh, workplaces to be aware that this could happen. Uh, this can happen, you know, um, oftentimes, you know, if, if a parent got upset with me for seemingly no apparent reason, sometimes I would hear reports from other people like, oh, wow, that's really out of character for them. They don't usually do that, you know, and in some of those cases, it's just, it's just kind of, it's good to kind of keep track of, of those types of situation where a parent is acting out of character, more kind of host, in a more hostile way towards um, people of color because of those little biases that can show up every once in a while. It would not necessarily be the majority. It might just be a few. And in those situations, it's important for supervisors or agencies to, to just give some support and not, not just kind of give in um, you know, and make decisions, like it says, mm-hmm. based on the data. I mean, I haven't heard, of, I mean, I don't have a lot of experience in EIBI and kind of working in clinics with BIs and those sorts of things. And like, is it, is it commonplace for parents in general to sort of, you know, black or white for generals, for parents to sort of say, you know, I don't like this person with my child? Uh, I know, no, that wasn't something that, inc- that incident kind of stood out to me because it was a very unusual one. It wasn't, no, it wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I've, like in my whole time there, the, the only two times that that has happened were with me. <laughs> um, and it wasn't something that parents did, you know, even if parents were kind of a little uncomfortable, they would usually be like, oh, okay, okay, you know, okay, you know, <laughs> they'd be fine and comply, you know. Yeah, it wasn't something. And usually they can't really see. It was just really through a little window so that the parent can really see what I was doing. They just saw interaction kind of blurry, you know, through like a, a fuzzed out mm-hmm. window. <laughs> right, right. I thought it was also interesting. You had uh, you had pulled up you had pulled up a couple other codes, six point oh four, six point oh five, and then I went mm-hmm. into the into my handy little crumpled uh, uh, ethics code book and realized everything kind of stopped <laughs> at six point oh two. And I'm like, what? What is she talking about? And and it turns out mm-hmm. you had pulled out. A couple codes from <laughs> the an older version of, of the ethics code, and uh, yeah, 
But I, 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 want, mm-hmm. I want you to read those and, and I want to talk about them for a little bit because those codes would have been in effect, you know, five, six years, seven years ago right. when you were working for this agency mm-hmm. and they would have applied to those folks right? Um, uh, and they would have seen that in there. So do you want to just read those? Sure. Um, there was 6.04 um, and it says the behavior analyst develops intervention that benefits the employees as well mm-hmm. as management. That's 6.04. And um, 6.05 says the behavior analyst develops intervention that enhance the health and well-being of the employees. Um, yeah. So I saw those <laughs> not realizing, wait, those aren't in effect anymore. But um, um, those are two that I felt weren't in place with my experience but like those were kind of ignored, like the well-being of employees, well, namely me, <laughs> and um, benefits. Uh, I know it talks about interventions, but um, when it's an organization full of behavior analysts, everything you do, you know, affects everyone. Well, I mean, like in the context of kind of organizational behavior management, OBM, um, which is, you know, a, a legit uh, prong of ABA. Managers yeah. are doing interventions all the time on their staff. And, and, and I think that's what these codes are referring to. They're referring to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got to be behavior analytic, not just yeah. with the, the people you serve, but with your staff. And, and that's, that's how you're going to recruit and retain and keep folks around. And, you know, and, you know, and there's some amazing literature out there that, uh, you know, can kind of speak to that. And it sounds like these codes were written, you know, with, with that sort of OBM kind of lens in mind. And so you'd think they would have some of those 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 pieces in play. Interesting on one hand that, you know, they clearly, you know, weren't following sort of those ones. And and I know at the time, I was in a, a, a ethics workshop recently. At the time, those were guidelines, right? They've changed from, they've changed from, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, guideline to compliance, um, since they kind of refined it. And so, you know, one could argue, well, those were just guidelines, you know, we didn't really, we, we, we could kind of do what we want with them. Uh, but it's interesting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of on a, on a bigger level, why those aren't there anymore. Why there are no longer compliance codes requiring, you know, uh, folks to treat their employees with, you know, some level of dignity and, um, and, and kind of push things forward. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping their well-being in mind. Yeah. The final secret word for continuing education credits is networking. Um, we also had 9.0. That one is just the behavior analyst promotes the general welfare of society through the application of the principles of behavior. Um, and I think that just kind of overarches a lot of everything because um, we spoke about, you know, um, some of my uh, mm-hmm. efforts and different things being kind of put on extinction, some being punished and um, <laughs> and that kind of thing. So um, the principles of behavior apply to everything um, and all parts of, you know, my journey of, you know, trying to become a BCBA. And, um, you know, it's important to just look at the welfare of everyone. I mean, I know our primary responsibility is to our clients. But we have we have a responsibility to the community in general, to everyone. And I think there are other codes 
um, points in the code, just talking about um, just for behavior analysts to be contributors, positive contributors to society as a whole and looking for the welfare and, you know, being an advocate and all those different type of things in general, just being an upstanding citizen. And um, I feel like for us, once we have understanding of the principles of behavior, it's not something that we can just throw off, you know, it kind of influences everything that we do and how we see Mm -hmm. the world. We see the world in a completely Mm -hmm. different lens that we can't really unlearn, (laughs) you know? And so um, looking at the principles of behavior and and, and, um, broadening that lens, not just to, yes, yes, primarily our clients, but just to how we treat people on the whole and looking at the welfare of everybody else. And a key part of that is, you know, racial equality and all the different equalities (laughs) that are in existence right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, There was one more that I kind of pulled out uh, was was 7.01, which might be uh, the BACB's attempt at combining your other ones um, together. Um, Behavior analysts promote an ethical culture in their work environments and make others aware of this code. You know, maybe that sort of it's it's a pretty broad sort of kind of statement around work environments, but I think basically it speaks to kind of those pieces. But it sounds like, as far as sort of uh, enforcing the code, did that ever? You know, did that ever? I mean, I, I and I'm, I'm asking this as sort of I guess from a, a devil's advocate kind of perspective, because you know you're on your own you're alone you're on your own basically through this whole experience you know <laughs> um uh you're not given opportunities people listen to you but then they forget about you um you've got coworkers you know that you know you're still friends with and i certainly am not looking to sort of um damage those relationships that you <laughs> you've created but was there ever a sort of a a thought or an expectation you know that maybe some of these folks would kind of come forward and, and either either A, advocate for you, you know, within the agency itself, or B, you know, go go to the go to the BACB and say, you know, that some something's happening here. Or or and I guess thirdly, did you ever think of kind of doing that all on your own? Which I know it sounds daunting. I I don't think I would. Um I don't think honestly it didn't really occur to me. I think there's generally this I mean, when you walk into a place and you're the only black person there, there's a feeling of isolation that you feel and you go into the environment with that. So mm-hmm. there some there's some options that just did not occur to me. You know, I didn't really beyond, you know, like other people in the workplace just saying, yeah, that was really messed up like that. No, that wasn't right. You know, that was probably as much as I expected from anybody. And, um, you know, I would, I would get, you know, those comments like, like, I can't believe this parent did that. I can't believe that happened. That's so wrong. But I wouldn't have expected, you know, for them to participate and advocate. Um, that's why when, um, the BCB I told you about when she kind of said, Oh, you know what? Let's like, this isn't right. Like he doesn't get to choose BI. You're a great BI. This isn't, this is not saying no. And she took the video. I bet. Yeah. that meant so, so much that that was like, wow, like, I can't believe that, mm-hmm. you know, she thought of doing this. And uh, she's really proven to be a huge supporter, like, you know, from since then, you know, she would That's be the awesome. one. She's like, you know, if you ever need a reference, you don't even need to ask, you know, just, right. you know, 
you know, so I've always had a reference because of, because of her, you know, and she's supported me a hundred percent. So, um, that, that wasn't, that kind of behavior isn't something that I expect. Mm -hmm. Right. This was a, this was a one-off with an amazing person, you know, who you're grateful for and, and who's advocated for you, but you know, it's not something you'd think others would do. I wonder, you know, I would hope, you know, that that's changing now, you know, that, that there's going to be more folks now that are going to step up, you know, and advocate and, and speak up just with sort of the, the conversations we're having today and the conversations kind of other folks are having. I don't know if it's true. I mean, it, it you know, a lot of it's been, you know, writing statements and, and, uh, you know, and sort of doing those things almost for, almost for show. Um, but are there actual internal, you know, and this is, you know, sort of a rhetoric question because you're not in these companies, but are there, is there actual change happening internally? So, you know, the people of color are now feeling like, you know, I have a few more coworkers that are actually, that actually got my back. I wonder if that's the case now. Yeah. I, 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 I want to, so I want to uh, move ahead if you don't mind um, to kind of, cause you, you, you're obviously not with that agency anymore. Um, or if you are, then you know, good for you mm-hmm. uh, for speaking up. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's see how Monday goes. Um, um, oh but um, <laughs> from, from that, when, 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 when we met, you weren't working for them. So you were, you were, you kind of, you kind of moved from there to private practice. What was, so what, what made you make that move? And, uh, and, and how'd that go? In a sense, like I mentioned, like I was kind of phased out involuntarily, you know? Um, I, I think it, at that point, I, it kind of got back to me. I was like, oh, no, it's costing them more to have me as an employee because of, like, you know, the benefit package and that kind of thing, you know? So I was kind of phased out. So um, left up to me, it'd mm-hmm. still be kind of, you know, trying to, like, you know, hold it together. But um, I, I eventually, uh, I connected with... Um, another supervisor who um, was able to give me supervision and she's been really great. She's been a very good resource. And um, yeah, so I was on my own for a bit. Well, with that supervisor, um, still not a lot of work. It was still very, it was hard to get work. Uh, My supervisor was really busy, wasn't able to take on many clients. um, And I was struggling to just, you know, uh, get my um, supervision hours as quickly as I, I needed. Um, by the time I started getting hours, I think others in my cohort from school had, had already, you know, completed their hours and was about to, to write. So I was super behind and super worried right, and wondering, yeah. Oh my gosh, am I going to get my hours within the five year limit? What's going to happen? <laughs> um, so yeah. So eventually I found a good supervisor. I learned a lot from her and uh, got my hours slowly, but steadily. <laughs> I was able to write the exam and then um, wrote, wrote the exam, passed the exam and I was kind of on my own for pretty much a full year. And during that time, I could not get new clients. I had maybe a few left over from, you know, when my supervisor and I kind of parted ways, you know, a couple stayed with me and, you know, um, I had those and and um, I was trying to get more clients and it just was unsuccessful. Um, so I 
was just mm-hmm. thinking, okay, how, okay, what are my options? <laughs> uh, what, what do I do next? And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe I just need to diversify my experience. Um, so I started applying for all kinds of other types of work, uh, tried to volunteer. I tried to volunteer at independent schools and just kind of offer my services for free to just build the experience that I valued. Lots of job applications. Uh, what would happen would be uh, on over email, things would go great and I'd almost be certain to get the job. And then, you know, it'd be a interview and then everything kind of felt you know, everything kind of was gone mm. by then. Um, and that was just happening over and over and over. And again, you know, yeah. I'll take a break and be like, okay, this is too much. And then try again. Um, so, yeah, I was looking to get a teaching position at one point to, to lecture part time. And I really wanted to because I thought this might be my way in, you know, to get some research experience. If I have some lecturing experience, maybe I can again that was really valuable for me um but um what really stung really hard was um that interview that I had where I was wanting to get that part-time lecturing position and then um, it was a big presentation and I I went above and beyond they said oh you don't need to do a powerpoint I did a powerpoint you know I wanted to do like my best and um did all the preparations there was a panel Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was laughing, having a good time. The interview seemed to go well. When I thought I wasn't doing a, a good job, I was getting a lot of reassurances like, oh, you're exactly the type of person we need. And, you know, like, like all your answers like are so great and all these things. I'm getting reassured in the process of like, okay, maybe. And then the day after I get a call back and it's like, oh, we're, we're not giving the, you the news that you want to hear. Wow. We feel like you just need more um teaching experience mm. and that that hurt a lot um, because I'm coming from trying to I'm giving away my time for free before then trying to get the experience I need to kind of you know grow my skills and even when I'm doing that I'm not having any luck at all and you know um, at this point it's like I just need someone to take a chance on me, you know? I can understand that maybe skills-wise, skills, in terms of my skills, I'm probably behind a lot of the people who are applying for jobs, but it's really because opportunities Mm -hmm. haven't come easy for me and it's not for a lack of trying, you know? And there comes a point where, you know, I mean, everyone takes a chance on someone when you're hiring somebody. There's no guarantees. Oftentimes, like if there are options of who to employ, even if someone looks the same on paper, sometimes, you know, what makes what makes that final decision? You know, and who are the people that are able to make the decisions? You know, who have who who are the people who have that power? And oftentimes it's not people who look like me. And just by that yep. mere fact, um, already slightly at a disadvantage which is why, you know, when I apply, I feel like I have to be overly qualified, you know, to kind of offset, you know, that fact, you know. Um, So it felt like, you know, I was a bit stuck. Um, But, you know, eventually some good news. 
and um, <laughs> I was awesome. able to get a full-time job um, and I started this month. Yeah. So at least there's some positivity at the end of this very long story, <laughs> a long journey. Um, but yeah, that was my, I guess, my interim experience <laughs> between finally becoming a board certified behavior analyst and now finding work, um, full-time work. And so how long had you been a BCBA before you got this job? Almost exactly a year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that, and that, I mean, I, it's awesome. Congratulations for for getting something good. It sounds like it's a place we've talked up before, where where I mean, you actually have some some colleagues now, and you can actually network mm-hmm. a bit and connect, and and hopefully, uh, you know, the next time there's a conference uh, that's that's live, <laughs> um, um, uh, you'll 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 be able to actually kind of hang out with some people and maybe meet some more people and start building building those circles. But it, you know, and maybe maybe I'm misjudging but it seems like this this is a field at least certainly in the states is the case this is a field where bcbas are in huge demand and there's just not enough of us anywhere Mm -hmm. um you know getting your bcba should really be almost a guarantee of some sort of employment um you know in this in this in in particularly in this province i don't know about other provinces and certainly in the u.s um you know where where you know it's uh i was listening to a podcast the other day where you know, I was interviewing someone who became a behavior analyst in the '90s, and you know, it was it was uh, you know more difficult to kind of get into things. But now, folks are getting headhunted, and people are getting emails like three times mm-hmm. a day, uh, people looking for BCBAs. And so, you're 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 obviously intelligent and well spoken, and 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 you know a ton about behavior analysis. I mean, uh, you know, uh, no no one's ever. Talk to me about generalization <laughs> gradients before. Um, you know that's super cool, um, and 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 you cl- you clearly know your stuff. And so it, it, it th- th- there's got to be bias in place here. There's got to be a reason all these places said no, and it's got to be it's got to be related. It can't be related to your resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they called you in for the interview for a reason. You're obviously good at talking <laughs> um, and having a conversation and doing an interview and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, you know, you don't, you smile, you don't sit there and monotone and, and, uh, and, and not tell stories and not elaborate. Right. So it's, it's just mind blowing. Like I know where you're working now and I understand why, you know, the, how you got that job because I know folks there that are, you know, that it just seems like a, a good, a good company from, 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 from what I know about it. And, We'll leave the names out and that sort of thing, but but it seems like there's a lot more of those good companies around, and I'm surprised, um, you know, that none of them none of them even gave you a second look. So that's um, that's an interesting message, sort of. I think to, you know, the local community to kind of think about, you know, maybe looking maybe looking at diversifying your hiring practices. Mm-hmm. You know, I I wonder I wonder what you know if they have other folks of color working for them at all. Uh, you know, and sort of what what that looks mm-hmm. like. Something else that's kind of come up, and and if anyone's listening and and certainly wants to come forward or or even maybe get a hold of you, um, I don't know that there is another black BCBA in BC. Um, um, this is sort of a conversation you and I. I mean, you don't know any. Yeah, I don't know. You <laughs> haven't met any. Not even there was there was one I hired for a family a while back, and I was like, you know, what? if this one wants to, <laughs> I'm going to mentor. But um, no, I don't even yeah. presently. I haven't met any. You know, and, and they may be out there. Um, 
so and hopefully they're out there uh or hopefully there's people out there that are you know sort of considering this work i know i worked before this i used to work in group homes and kind of in that setting and um and there was lots of you know community support workers and whatnot and we had a, there was a few uh, black folk that 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 worked as staff um but again not many i worked at an agency of 800 and mm-hmm. and and i and i'm just you know i don't want to say their names out loud <laughs> but i think i can think of maybe three or four staff there that were black and so you know you know maybe this maybe this is sort of across a cross sector sort of issue, mm-hmm. but I wonder if there are folks out there, you know, that are either maybe RBTs yep. or BIs that are, you know, um, maybe having the same struggles as you, mm-hmm. um, or if there is a black PCB out there that you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that that wants to reach out. Like, what 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 messages would you have for for you know either either the the black RBT. Or 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 the young or the young black person who's you know, maybe sees this field as being kind of cool, uh, but also notices that nobody anywhere looks like them. I would say, if you're really serious about the field, I would say firstly you need to find something that really grounds you and you know keeps you in a positive frame of mind, and uh, prepare yourself to to be determined find some way to reinforce your efforts because you may not have it in the the sources that they should come from so make sure that you have something to kind of uh, ground yourself in and to supplement the reinforcement in your life enrich your environment however you can i would say really don't give up because it looks like you would be another front runner in the field in BC and the field needs you. And, and also think about the clients that need you also think of your potential role within the field for other people of color who we don't always see people who look like us in positions of seniority. And, um, if you are in this field, you're probably motivated by helping and mentoring and, and guiding. And um, think of it not just for your clients, but also for others in the field. So yeah, build, build persistence. Prepare yourself. Don't lose sight and don't lose your values. Make sure that the situations that you face don't make you bitter or um resentful towards other people it's yeah we're i think we're okay with that but (laughs) but still just be mindful of how your situations impact you and make sure you enrich your environment as much as possible so that you're not building up habits or behaviors or attitudes that make you less effective or make you you know less likely to be able to integrate yourself within the field so yeah, I would say that. Just enrich your life. Find something that grounds you. Be determined. Prepare yourself. Stay positive. And you can definitely do this. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Well, I hope, I hope, I hope there's some folks out there that uh, you know will be, you know, motivated by this. Uh, I hope there's some listeners out there that uh, have maybe gained a bit of a new perspective today that they didn't maybe have uh, before they listened. I know for me, it's it's. Um, it's opened my eyes because I think a lot of folks didn't 
didn't be- believe this was an American problem. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I think on some levels, you know, it is. I think particularly when it comes to sort of, you know, um, uh, the police oh, issue. Um, has has that been a, 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 an issue for you at all here? Um, not really. I can only remember myself ever being pulled over maybe twice ever. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't, well, actually then it was still early in my transition here. Honestly, now if I were pulled over, if I were to be pulled over, I, I feel I would have a sense of anxiety. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's also it's also I don't know. I haven't even met another <laughs> I was I don't know what the constitution of police officers are in terms of how varied they are, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um so if I don't know, I don't know about that too much, but I haven't had much interactions yeah. with police or law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. but I feel now if I were pulled over, I would probably be a bit more anxious now. But mm-hmm. I haven't had um unusually negative experiences apart mm-hmm. just from being followed in the store by security or sure yeah. <laughs> that type of thing yeah um, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> and i mean that might have been different if you know your family you know if your parent if you grew if you were born here um and your fa- and your parents were and so your parents would have maybe had a, a history as well mm-hmm. you know of of sort of discrimination in canada i mean i'm sure they're probably run. Your your. I imagine your family's probably running into some similar experiences to yours, just living here now. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think these are generations of folks in the states that have been, mm-hmm. you know, kind of dealing with a a, a unique history. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, where I think our history, I think just the, the simple fact on the West Coast, anyway, that there just aren't a lot of black people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, you don't see it as much where we see it more, I think with the first nations, right. you know, uh, kind of population. Yeah. And, and that's where I kind of a lot of that, a lot more of those, you know, overt, um, um, discrimination pieces, particularly around police are mm-hmm. are kind of more prevalent. But then I think if you went to Eastern, Eastern Canada, the story might be, yeah, might yeah. be quite different and the perspective yeah. might be quite different, you know, and not just in the big city, like in Toronto, like I know in Halifax and the East coast, there's a lot of, um, uh, racism stuff that's going on a lot there too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and anything else uh, you 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 you, you want to share with the crew? Anything else? Not nothing I can think of right now. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, maybe that's it. This might be a good place to wrap it up. I think we've been. This is uh, podcast number one. I think we've been going for a good hour and a half, which I think is good enough for folks to drive to any destination and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and 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 finish the story. Right. Uh, they might have to press pause a couple times. Um, so thanks again for for being on here. This has been super fantastic. Um, a, a super honor on my part to have you as my first guest and and to kind of share this story. Uh, I hope you'll come back and uh, sometime and uh, maybe talk ABA. Yeah. Uh, you know, we definitely talked a lot of ABA today as as far as kind of how it related, and so I, mm-hmm. I know. You definitely have some good perspectives, but uh, it would be neat to see uh, you to, to hear maybe about some opportunities you've had to maybe get into research. Um, that'd be cool to see. I'd love to hear if if, if those opportunities could kind of come your way, um, and and love to just hear you uh, talk about some other topics. Like, what is your sort of uh, 
favorite area of of ABA right now? What's uh, what's really kind of you're finding really interesting? So my new recent thing, and uh, I did connect with a couple of people from like on Facebook, other um, BCBAs. So I'm really interested in learning about precision teaching right now. Mm, um, that yeah. seems to be, I don't know, I started, I did some um, CUs on it. And I was like, oh, this is what I've been missing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> because I just love the whole idea of the pinpoint pluses and what that yeah. like clarity of objectives and how measurable it is and how easy that is to track. And um, absolutely. Yeah. And then just the standardization of that chart because it's like a way for everybody to communicate across the same platform. Um, so that has been a recent interest of mine. So I, I, I heard from a couple of people who've given me some resources and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, although I'm not like trained in it yet, um, but I'm becoming more familiar with it. And I think at minimum, I want to use a lot more pinpoint pluses and just how I'm writing uh, program sure. objectives and that kind of thing. And it's just, it's great because I think it can apply everywhere, academics and life skills and Absolutely. all those different social skills. So yeah, that's my, that's my latest interest right now. <laughs> yeah. It always behooves me as to why persistent teaching is sort of a separate area when it just, you know, you know, and, and I, I may offend some folks here, but uh, <laughs> why it should just be sort of the standard measurement yeah. that we all kind of use. Yeah. But I, I do get that there are different contextual things that kind of relate to that. But I took uh, uh, Rick Cabina's, um, mm. um, he did a, he has a 20 hour, 20 credit hour um, course on, yeah. on their, on the, on the central reach there. Mm-hmm. And I did that in kind of in, in March. Well, COVID yeah. hard and there was nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was a great, great, great course. Oh, and right. yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't have had a clue what you, what you meant by pinpoint plus uh, in February. So I'm, I'm <laughs> glad I took that course so I could nod and, and, and yeah, yeah. What you mean. yeah. Like, what, what the heck's a pinpoint plus? What? Yeah, no, they're, they're really cool. Yeah, no, no, no. That'd be neat to hear, hear more as you get to get a chance to kind of learn some more about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let, let's leave it at that. Um, thanks again for being, uh, you know, my first podcast guest. You're very welcome. Um, and, and look forward to, look forward to seeing you maybe at, at, at our next, uh, our next conference or <laughs> our next, uh, activity, uh, hopefully in person, but likely on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Well, you bet. <laughs>